from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. Have you ever wished for an easier life? Most of us think that if life were easier, life would be better. But on today's episode, we're going to discover that that's not necessarily true. In our Bible study today, we will learn from the mistake that the Israelites made when they realized that life in the promised land would be anything but easy. They made some false assumptions about challenges and difficulties, assumptions that I bet the rest of us make too, and it cost them dearly. We all go through plenty of hardship and challenges in life, but after today's episode, you will have a brand new perspective that won't just help you tolerate the difficulties that God sends your way, it will also have you thanking him for them. Before we get to the Bible verses that we will study today, I want to remind you that we are following the traditional Jewish Bible reading plan, which takes us through the five books of Moses every year. Each week, Jews around the world study and read the same section of the Bible. This week, we begin the fifth of the five books of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy. The Torah portion that we read is called Devarim, which means words, and it covers Deuteronomy chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 22. The book of Deuteronomy begins with Moses speaking to the Israelites in their 40th and final year in the desert. The people are about to enter the promised land, and Moses knows that he won't be joining them. Almost all of Deuteronomy is Moses' beautiful, emotional, and really powerful final address to the nation. In the first chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses begins to recap everything that the Israelites have been through since he led them out of Egypt. He reminds the people of their failings and the consequences of their sins so that they won't repeat them in the future. It's like a father speaking to his children. In the verses that we will focus on today, Moses recalls the incident of the spies who scouted out the promised land and returned with a bad report. We actually have a great episode, one of my favorite, on the sin of the spies called How One Word Can Change Your Life for Better or for Worse. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend you do. Go back. We'll have a link to it in the show notes for this episode. And I really suggest that you listen to it when you're done with this episode. Because today, we're going to talk about how the Israelites responded to the report of the spies and what we can learn from what they could have and should have done differently. The verses that we will study today are from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 25 to 27, and I'm going to read them to you now. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. In these verses, Moses described how the spies came back from scouting out the land and reported that the land God was giving them was indeed a good land. 
Now, we know from Numbers 13 that that wasn't all the spies said. They added other information that painted a frightening picture, suggesting that the land was difficult, if not impossible, to capture. But here, Moses doesn't mention any of that and blamed the spies only for how they reacted to the report. The fact is that the spies reported that the land was good, even if difficult to capture. What Moses is saying is that the Israelites should have concluded that God would help them fight their battles. He would help them like he always helped them, and that they would inherit the good land that God himself promised them. But instead, as our verse tells us, they concluded that God took them out of Egypt and was leading them into a death trap because he hated them. The truth is, we can understand why the Israelites saw God leading them into what they perceived as impossible battles, as evidence that he hated them. But why did they also mention that he brought them out of Egypt? Surely that was a good thing and suggested that God loved them, not that he hated them. The rabbis explained what the Israelites meant with the following parable. There was once a king who had two sons and two fields. One of the king's fields was well irrigated and the other field was dry and parched. The king gave the irrigated field to the son that he loved and the arid field to the son that he hated. Egypt was known for being lush and bountiful. The land was well irrigated by the Nile River, which constantly overflowed and watered the land. In contrast, the land of Canaan was arid and depended on rain for irrigation, making it extremely difficult to grow anything and to prosper there. The Israelites reasoned that if God loved them, instead of taking them out of Egypt, he could have taken the Egyptians out of Egypt and given them the fertile land. Instead, they were the ones who had to pick up and leave. They were the ones who had to trek through the desert for 40 years. They were the ones who would have to fight difficult battles in order to establish a homeland. And after all that, the land that God had in store for them was arid and difficult to cultivate. The Israelites came to the conclusion that just like the story of the king, if God gave them the land that was dry and parched, instead of the naturally abundant land, they were the hated son from that story of the king who gave the son that he didn't like as much, the worst field. Of course, we know that the Israelites were wrong. God loved them with an infinite and everlasting love. He made a bond, a vow with them forever around this love. Part of the reason why they came to a false conclusion was because they made a false assumption to start with. The Israelites assumed that the easier land would likely lead to an easier life, and they might have been right about that. But here's where they were wrong. They also assumed that an easier life is a better life and the better gift from God. And there, they were very, very mistaken. I think that many of us make the same mistake when we look at our own lives. Like the Israelites, we often assume that an easy life is a better life. Have you ever prayed for an easy life? Have you ever wondered why God doesn't answer that prayer if he really loves you? There's an old Jewish tale that addresses this timeless question, and I want to share it with you. 
It's a story called The Nobleman and the Peasant Worker. There once was a wealthy nobleman who went on a tour of his estate and saw a peasant pitching hay. The nobleman was fascinated by the sight. He was completely mesmerized by the flowing motions of the peasant's arms and shoulders and the graceful sweep of the pitchfork through the air. The nobleman enjoyed the spectacle so much that he made an offer to the peasant. He offered to pay him a gold coin every day if he would come to his mansion and display his hay-pitching technique in the drawing room. The peasant could hardly believe his luck. A gold coin was more than he usually earned in an entire week for his hard labor. And working inside was much easier than having to deal with the weather outside. He joyfully accepted the nobleman's offer. The next day, the peasant arrived at the mansion, excited to begin his new line of work. After swinging his empty pitchfork for an hour, he collected his gold coin and was done working for the day. But by the next day, the peasant was far less enthusiastic about his new job. And before the week was out, he announced that he was quitting. The nobleman was stunned. He said, I don't understand. Why would you rather swing heavy loads outdoors in the winter cold and the summer heat when you can perform an effortless task in the comfort of my home and earn many times your usual wages? The peasant replied, but master, I'm not doing anything when I come here. As the peasant in the story learned, having an easy life does not make a good life. We need to be doing something in order to feel satisfied and fulfilled with our lives. That's what makes a good life. The idea of sitting poolside every day for the rest of our lives may sound very enticing, especially when it's 8 a.m. on a Monday and you have to get to work. But in reality, we wouldn't be happy with that life for very long. It's not how God made us. As human beings, we need purpose and meaning, growth and connection in order to feel fulfilled That is what life is all about, feeling fulfilled. And those things are usually only found in challenges and hardships. We often think that if our life was easier, it would be better. But the truth is that it is often our hardships that improve our lives by leaps and bounds. I want to tell you about a friend of mine who changed the way that I see challenges and difficulties in my own life. My husband and I have a friend that lives in one of the smallest Jewish communities in one of the most remote parts of the world. He is an ordained rabbi, and he decided to move his family from Israel in order to serve the Jewish community there. The first time that our friend came back to Israel to visit, we got together to catch up. He told us that he and his wife were very happy with the life they chose, but that it hadn't always been that way. He told us that after a few months living in such a small and isolated community, they weren't sure if they made the right decision. So he reached out to his own rabbi for some guidance. His rabbi listened patiently as he described the hardships that he was dealing with, how it was hard and expensive to get kosher food, how it was hard to get enough people to come to the synagogue for services, and how challenging it was to not have any colleagues around to talk to or share the communal responsibilities with him. 
he summed up everything by telling his rabbi that it was all very difficult and he just wished that things were easier. The rabbi gave a short but powerful reply. He said to our friend, who says that easier is better? That question is what changed everything for our friend. Suddenly he realized how all the difficulties he was complaining about had given him so much meaning in his life. The challenges had pushed him to grow in his faith and to develop his skills as a leader. He realized that if he returned to Israel, life would be easier, but not nearly as meaningful as reaching out to people who needed him, who had nowhere else to turn to. In Israel, rabbis are a dime a dozen, but where he was, there was no one else who could do what he could do. He was making a powerful impact on individual lives and in the community, building it from the ground up. Our friend decided to stay abroad where his life might be more difficult, but it was also much better. Ever since I heard this story, I often repeat this question that our friend heard from his rabbi. Who says that easier is better? Whenever I catch myself wishing things were easier, I remember that easier is not always better. Yes, it would be easier for me if I didn't have to make four lunches every single day to send to my children, but that would definitely not be better. In the verses we are focusing on today, the Israelites made the mistake of thinking that because Egypt was an easier land to cultivate, it was the better gift from God. But when God gave them the more difficult land, he actually gave them the better land and the better gift because easier isn't necessarily better and difficult can be a gift. The spies were correct when they said in verse 25, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But what's so good about a difficult land? The rabbis explained that in order to cultivate the land of Israel, a lot of prayer would be necessary, which would draw the people closer to God and keep them close to him. And a lot of work would be needed which would keep the people humble, help them develop character, and deepen their connection to the holy soil of Israel. So many good things come out of hard work and prayer. Do you know what I mean? Can you relate to that a little bit? I know I can. When everything is easy, we're more likely to neglect both of those. But hard work and prayer help us develop our full potential to live our best lives, to appreciate the small things and realize that we can't do it on our own. God gave his beloved people a land with many challenges because he wanted to give them more than a piece of land where they could grow food and survive. He wanted to give them a spiritual home in this physical world, a place where they would grow their souls and truly thrive. The land of Israel was perfect for that. Personally, I get a lot of encouragement from this teaching because 3,000 years later, Israel is still a difficult land to cultivate and a place with many challenges. And yet, 
It is the place that I have chosen to call home and that I choose every single day to call home. The Jewish people didn't return to Israel because it's an easy place to live or because it is rich in natural resources. We came back to Israel in spite of the fact that it is a difficult place to live and has almost no natural resources. We came here because it is our God-given homeland. In the early years of the rebirth of Israel, in the 20s and 30s, young Jews came from all over the world to help work the land. These pioneers, known as chalutzim in Hebrew, are famous for working long, hot days, draining swamps full of malaria and mosquitoes and planting trees. People were poor and there was little infrastructure in the country. It was a very, very hard life. But at the end of the day, after so much hard work, when the sun set, do you know what those early settlers of Israel did? They would dance and play music. How did they have the energy for that? Well, I'll tell you how. Their hearts were full and their lives were meaningful. In Hebrew, we have a term, livnot ulihibanot which means to build and to be built. When we work hard to build something, we also build up our character. As the pioneers built the land of Israel, they also built up themselves. They may not have had much wealth, and they might have worked very hard all day in the hot sun, but they had very rich lives. Today, Israel has been dubbed the startup nation, because of the amount of innovative technology that comes out of our tiny little country. I once watched an interview on American television with an expert on the Israeli economy. The interviewer wanted to know how today's young Israelis became so innovative and why we have so many startups. The Israeli expert explained that as a young country still figuring things out, there are so many mistakes leading to everyday challenges in Israel. For example, an Israeli child goes to kindergarten and the hook is too high for his coat. So already from a young age, he has to think about how to solve the problem. By the time he's an adult, he's already a master problem solver. As someone who made Aliyah move to Israel 16 years ago, I can tell you that it's true. We have many more challenges and far less conveniences than in places like America, where I was born and raised. But we learn to overcome challenges and to pray a whole lot. And ultimately, we are better off because of the challenges we face. The difference between the life I chose in Israel and the life that I left behind in America came into a stark contrast for me a few years ago when, at the end of August, I noticed my friends posting two very different types of photos on social media. My American friends were posting pictures of moving their 18-year-olds into college and the beautifully furnished dorm rooms that they set up for them, complete with new linens and fluffy pillows. It was so exciting that they were going to finally go off on their own and start university. Well, my Israeli friends were posting pictures of their newly drafted 18-year-olds in their army uniforms, starting their mandatory army service. While other 18-year-olds are enjoying college campuses, expanding their minds during the day and enjoying parties and comfy beds at night, 
Our kids here in Israel are training hard under the Middle Eastern sun and sleeping on army cots in non-air-conditioned bases at night. At first, I felt bad for the Israeli kids. But then I realized that while the army is hard, very hard, and it's a big responsibility to be able to protect your homeland from enemies that want your destruction, nothing helps these 18-year-olds mature and become self-confident, responsible adults than their army service. They gain so many gifts from that experience of hardship including a sense of appreciation for the freedoms that we enjoy in Israel and America. They feel a sense of obligation to help others, and they have clarity about what really matters to them. These gifts, born out of very difficult experiences of serving in the Israeli army, set them up for a better life in the long run. Overall, life in Israel is objectively harder than the life that I left behind in America. We've been through several wars and our security situation has never been stable. Israelis earn much lower salaries and the cost of living is much higher. And we don't have the variety of products that the U.S. has or conveniences like same-day low-cost shipping. But on the most recent United Nations World Happiness Report, you might be shocked to hear that Israel was ranked the 12th happiest country in the world, just one spot lower than Australia and seven spots higher than comfortable, abundant America. Why? Because easier is not always better. And difficulties can give way to our greatest gifts in life. One of the oldest and most common questions in the world is, if God loves me, why is my life so hard? Like the Israelites, we might even look at all the hard things in our lives and conclude that God hates us. But the truth is that God gives difficulties to those that he loves so that we will grow from them and benefit from them. Think of the hard times that you have been through. Can you see what you gained from those times? Can you think of challenges that you have overcome? Can you see how you grew from them? I hope that you will share your experiences with me because I want to know. And I think that we can encourage each other by sharing how our lives were made better by going through something difficult. When we are faced with difficulties in our life, our instinct is usually to resist and resent them. But we need to remember that God gives them to us as a gift so that we will grow and benefit from them. I once heard it put this way, when we are faced with adversity, we usually want God to do a removing job, but he wants to do an improving job. Our challenges and opportunities to become better people and to improve our lives are everywhere we look if we allow them to come in. The rabbis taught that if we really understood what we have to gain from our problems, we wouldn't run from them. Instead, we would run towards them. God gives us the tools that we need in order to overcome our challenges. Every high-performance athlete knows that it is only through challenges that they can achieve and advance their goals. 
And in the same way, we need to embrace our challenges, knowing that they make us better and improve our lives. Instead of asking God to take away our challenges, we should ask him for help in overcoming them. And then we should also thank him for them. The ancient Israelites thought that all of the difficulties that they endured were evidence that God did not love them. But in Deuteronomy 8.16, God explains the purpose of those difficulties. He says, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. In the same way, God gives you difficulties so that in the end it might go well with you. It's because God loves you. He wants the best for you. Whatever challenges you face this week, whether they are huge and extremely difficult or small and more of a nuisance, ask yourself what you have to gain by overcoming it. See the gift on the other side of the difficulty and remember that easier is not always better. God gives challenges to those that he loves. And if he loves you enough to give you challenges, he loves you enough to help you overcome them. I believe that with all of my heart. Shavua Tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.